Hey, it's Malia with a heads up on content. In this episode, Jill and I talk about our fears as kids and as adults. We describe things that scared us in books and movies at probably a PG-13 level and also touch on some deeper existential fears. If these things might be triggering for you, feel free to skip this episode or parts of it. Toward the end, we talk about how to deal with a fear, which we all need to do in some way, and we hope these takeaways are helpful. Okay, here's the episode. Welcome to Semi Together, a podcast about having some of your life together all of the time. It's about working on where you want to get it together while giving yourself credit for where you've got it together. We break down current research and share takeaways from our own experience to help us all live with more calm, joy, and authenticity. I'm Malia Dicker, and I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm her sister, Jillian Burgess, and I live in Barcelona, Spain. Today, in honor of Halloween in a few days, we will be talking about fear, what it is, how it affects us, and how we deal with it. But first, an update following our last episode, ADHD and Creativity, Parenting, and Identity with Ginger Williams Cook. Several women have reached out to me, either after hearing the episode or seeing what I've been posting on social for ADHD Awareness Month and asking for guidance on how to seek an evaluation for themselves. And Ginger has said that others have contacted her for the same. And this makes me so happy because women are significantly less likely to be diagnosed in childhood as, you know, boys. And it's really hard sometimes. It takes a long time for them to get diagnosed. And so I'm really happy that awareness is growing around ADHD in adults and especially women. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. I know. Um, And to have some small part in it makes me really joyful. Yes, definitely. And since our conversation with Ginger and just the conversations you and I have all the time, I've also been thinking about that more, you know, just identifying myself in in different (laughs) things. And you sent me something that I forgot to respond to on Instagram about the Enneagram 7 type being aligned with ADHD. And oh my gosh, it really nailed it. Um, And that it may be more common among the 7 type. And Ginger says she's a 7 as well. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's Fun seeking. <laughs> yes. Really hate boredom and tedious tasks. Mm-hmm. Tedious tasks are death for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so it is something I've been thinking about too. I it's the logistics of it, you know, getting the evaluation and figuring out how to do that either through the Spain system or through our military health insurance in the states. So it is something on my radar because I I feel like that might be valuable. Yeah. And as people get older, it's just, you know, I think there's just more responsibilities and certainly with the pandemic and mm-hmm. hormones and all kinds of factors that make it untenable at some point, if even if you've had coping mechanisms and structures the rest of the time in right. our lives to manage. So that is a thing. It's pretty it common. Is. It is. <laughs> but it's very, very cool to see other people, you know, recognizing themselves in these stories and then seeking strategies and evaluations. That's awesome. Yes, and I'm always happy to be a resource for folks, so coaching or otherwise. Well, now we're going to get into today's topic, dealing with what scares you. Because it is Halloween season, we have been thinking about what we're afraid of and how it's changed over time, as well as how we handle that primitive emotion that evolved to protect us, but can also hold us back from taking risks that would likely benefit us. We'll talk about how fear affects our bodies in ways that keep us safe from short-term threats, but actually cause us harm when we're in a state of ongoing fear and stress. 
Merriam-Webster defines fear as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. And research has found that babies are born with the fear of falling, loud noises, looming objects, and snakes and spiders, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I have those fears, and uh, it's interesting <laughs> that they're inborn. I know, and I'm, I'm glad I'm not the researcher having to put snakes and spiders near a baby because <laughs> I would feel really bad. Seems a little unethical. <laughs> like, does this freak you out, baby? I know, right? <laughs> How about now? <laughs> yes, and the research shows that other fears develop universally at different ages. So separation and stranger anxiety until the toddler years. And then as they become mobile, heights, death, the dark, and monsters or dangerous animals that could be lurking there. And in later childhood and early adolescence, they start fearing losing friends and social status. According to the science magazine Nautilus, it's clear why children develop these particular fears at the ages when they typically encounter them or be vulnerable to them. Matthias Kleisen writes, Some people may feel that they grow out of these fears, that they no longer need to check under the bed for lurking monsters before they go to sleep, but most of the fears begin in childhood and persist in somewhat modified forms throughout life. And other fears are learned from public speaking to climate change. So how do our brains respond to fear? Neuroscientist Kay Tai says, fear resembles a dictator that makes all other brain processes, from cognition to breathing, its slave. It coordinates all of our body functions to confront, escape, or avoid the perceived danger, triggering a fight, flight, or freeze response. Psychotherapist Pete Walker added a fourth response, fawn, a trauma response in which people seek safety by people-pleasing at the expense of their own boundaries. So our body's alarm system triggers adrenaline and cortisol, the stress hormone, tensing our muscles, increasing our heart rate and breathing to get us away from the threat. And then once we're safe again, we can go back into rest and digest mode when our hormone levels, heart rate, and blood pressure return to normal, and our body can resume its normal processes. The trouble is many of us don't feel safe inside our own minds, and our body responds to our ongoing anxiety and stress as if there are lions constantly prowling our backyards. Who has time to sleep and pull nutrients from food and repair damaged cells when we are about to be devoured? <laughs> the overexposure to cortisol and other stress hormones can disrupt our bodies and put us at risk for problems like muscle pain, issues with sleep, memory and digestion, anxiety and depression, and heart disease. All of the fun ones on top of just feeling. <laughs> just <laughs> like, feeling like you're going to be fearful. attacked by life. Exactly. I know. Great. <laughs> oh, great combo. Yes. hmm That's why it is super important to pay attention to your fear and its close cousin anxiety and understand it so you can deal with it instead of letting it control you. Besides wreaking havoc on our minds and bodies, it can also prevent us from doing things that would improve our quality of life that we actually want to do, from learning a new skill to making a career change, but that our brains mistake for threats to our safety. We will talk a bit later about how we can deal with those fears without denying or avoiding them, but also not letting them stop us. Well, now that we're clear on what fear is and how it affects us, Jill and I will get into what scared us as kids and what scares us now, as well as how we handle those fears, both the tangible and the existential. So we will take turns doing a quick Q&A, and we haven't seen each other's responses, so it'll be interesting to see what we say. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jill, do you want to go first? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, so Jill, were you easily scared as a kid? I feel like, yes, I was easily scared because I had an active imagination. And we also just consumed a lot of scary content. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
the 80s were kind of a wild west <laughs> right I, I talk about it now with you and with our friends I'm like geez the 80s and 90s we were just you know kind of like the stranger things kids like <laughs> yeah it's like doing... riding around in our bikes and just like <laughs> right out in the wild which was amazing in many ways mm-hmm. but we were also like the books and movies and shows that we watched were you know often very cheesy but super scary um yeah. so. and a less monitored I guess like, yeah. common sense media probably wasn't a thing back probably then, not guessing. yeah which you know I enjoyed at the time but I also like I liked that, that stuff but I was also easily scared I would remember things you know at late mm-hmm. at night mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I relate yes and you seek them out and then you're like why did I do that why did I do that yes <laughs> Well, did you like scary movies, books, and shows? And what were your favorites? Yeah, so you went through a horror movie phase when you were younger. I sure did. And <laughs> like more like an obsession, I would say. Yeah, because you said you wanted to be like a special effects producer or something, right? When you were, I don't know, junior <laughs> yeah. high school? I don't yes. know if that was just a way to get us mom to let us watch a bunch of stuff. No, it, that was true. I'd actually forgotten that, and that's how mom let us do it. That's yes. funny, but it was true <laughs> okay. time. for the record. Yes. So during that phase, I, as the younger sister, benefited from it because I got to watch a bunch of stuff. So we had our favorites, you know, the really campy or cheesy ones like Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. and The People Under the Stairs and a Basket Case. <laughs> I forgot about that Basket <laughs> so bad um but then i, I love what's that <laughs> i was gonna say child's play did you watch the chucky movie oh i did and they d- they scarred me that one <laughs> did not sit well with me it's so cheesy now i've seen some of it later in life but man the whole well, like, you have dolls sort of like that in your uh, room as a kid you yeah can picture because he's like a regular doll smiley happy doll yes. in the beginning and he's like the popular doll that season in the first it's like one, teddy like, ruxpin i was exactly by that. yeah and exactly. you had a teddy ruxpin i did and i loved it <laughs> Yes, and there's that scene in the first movie where, like, it's the doll's been walking and talking and stuff, and then, like, they turn it around and open the battery pack, and it's empty, I and know. its little head, head turns around. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, so creepy dolls and creepy clowns were mm-hmm. never my favorite genre. Yeah. Um, but then I loved um, when Scream, the first one, came out. They filmed a lot of it in Sonoma mm-hmm. and at the, our community center, and the 25th anniversary of the film is this year, so they're doing, like, a screening at the community center in Sonoma, which is super it's fun. So Oh, I like that one because it has humor also. Yes. Yes. And, and silliness. It's, yeah. It's very meta, you know, it like has a mm-hmm. lot of winks to the old movies. It was like Wes Craven's comeback film. So I loved all that stuff, even though it did freak me out. And I remember reading like Stephen King books when I was babysitting, like out in the country. I'm reading The Shining. <laughs> like, what am yeah, I no, doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not the time for it. No. Yeah. I think I wouldn't even watch scary movies when we were sort of like out in a, I don't know, cabin setting or something where there's like big windows and it's dark. Right. I mean, that's probably wise. It's good. It's a good uh, policy. But I would read a bunch of your old paperbacks too, like R.L. Stein and Christopher mm-hmm. Pike. And <laughs> Scary Stories to St- Tell in the Dark was just a wonderful and very scarring oh, set yeah. of books. Yes. Scared the crap it's out of me. a generation of children, I think, or a few generations. They're still out there. So I don't know if kids Man. are still reading them. But I do have a couple copies up here in the closet where I'm recording. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to give them to my kids. I think I will. I think I might throw them away because I don't want to give them to any other children. I know. I don't think I could in good conscience give them to any kids, you know? Like, those drawings terrified me, but I loved the books. I made you, like, 
read them to me and stuff. So. Oh my gosh. Well, your friend Catherine came over and saw the picture of the woman who had like a boil or a pimple on her face oh. and it kept growing and growing and then it hatched because it was a oh. spider egg <laughs> and then oh, the pictures of all those little baby spiders running all over her face and she had nightmares for a long time. I was like, oops, my bad. <laughs> my be <laughs> Sleep tight. Yeah. Sorry, I, Mama. <laughs> I still have a very vivid memory of that picture. Mm-hmm. So. So yes, I did like them, but also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, do you like them now? How do you feel about scary stuff now? You know, I don't seek it out as much now. I I do like stuff that's kind of creepy or suspenseful. Like we just started watching the second season of the Netflix show Lock and Key, which Mm. is based on a graphic novel series. And it's, it's actually written by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son. Mm. So new generation. So the, the story is kind of like in the vein of, I don't know, a Stranger Things, where it's scary and creepy, but not like horror. So I don't, I can't do anything super realistic, torture or gory or any like Saw or Hostile. Like that's a hard no for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and Brian doesn't love scary movies. So um, he won't really watch many of them with me. So I'm not going to watch them myself. So I don't watch a ton of that content now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as like more fears are sort of realistic i guess in your yeah. life it's like why well, plant the seed of right extras, you know? like real That's life my adult policy. life yeah is hard enough <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my mind is a scary place as it is exactly so don't add to it to that hellish landscape <laughs> well what were your big tangible fears like clowns and snakes as a kid yeah so clowns and snakes um and then <laughs> <laughs> anything i put in like the category i just define as vermin you know like oh Yes. Yes. Rats. Rats, spiders, all bugs, just anything that is creepy and gross. Like, I love the scene in Enchanted where Amy Adams is singing as if all the woodland creatures will, like, come in and help her clean, except it's all of the New York City creatures where it's, like, cockroaches and rats and stuff like that, pigeons. It's so, so funny, but I also can't really watch it because I'm so (laughs) creeped out by it. Like, it just, like, my shoulders are, like, going up to my ears right now as I'm talking about it. So hilarious. No vermin. I do not like heights. And I've always had the fear of like being like robbed or attacked while home alone Mm -hmm. or being stranded somewhere. Like the books Hatchet and Island of the Blue Dolphins did not help this. Um, (laughs) All the classics, the Newbery Award winners. Yes. Again, with the books of our childhood, it was like there's always a kid dying. Or... Well, Ramo got eaten by wild dogs. He did. He did. Yes. And, you know, didn't the pilot, the pilot died in Hatchet? Heart attack. Because, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so all this abandonment, being stranded and like left to your wits on a desert island kind of thing. And in general, I just had pretty vivid like bad dreams as a kid that I, mm-hmm. some of them I still remember, like that doll that we had as as kids it was this creepy looking doll that i had a bad dream about and then you and your friend christina <laughs> tormented me with it and like played keep away like throwing it over my head and then i was playing the piano at that time so we, we like i played the wedding march on the piano and we dressed it up in like a wedding gown and christina my friend got married to it <laughs> those are kind of things that yeah we have so much time in your hand as a kid <laughs> Classic older sister. We were just trying to make it humorous and not have it scare you anymore. Yes, <laughs> I'm that sure was that was your goal. intention. I'm yeah. sure that was your goal. <laughs> so do you yeah. have these same kinds of fears now? Yeah. Well, I'm not terrified of the doll anymore. <laughs> the doll is long gone. <laughs> I think we gave that away. Yeah, we probably should yes. have thrown that in the garbage too. <laughs> yeah, mom gave it away. Um, <laughs> but all the other ones, yeah, that's pretty consistent. You know, and growing older and living in cities, being a woman, I feel like 
that has also made me more aware of, you know, tangible fears like being attacked while walking mm, at night yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So I'm very aware of my surroundings, even though Barcelona in general is safer than other cities I've lived in. So mm-hmm. those, uh, I think those things have kind of been turned up a little bit. The spiders and bugs and stuff like that, obviously I don't love them, but I don't lie awake at night thinking about them generally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've gotten better since I've had children. I had like my mama bear instinct kicks in. And like with spiders, I will, if if they are in reach and I can safely do it, I will trap them in a jar and take them outside. This is my act of kindness. And to show the kids that, you know, if we can be kind, we can rescue these things. And cockroaches, on the other hand, they're all bets are And mosquitoes, those I will absolutely kill with abandon. But yes, I'm not so scared of those anymore. Yeah, I do not like them, but... (laughs) Way to be a (laughs) grown-up. Do you have any other tangible fears now that you didn't have as a kid um i guess you've mentioned a couple yeah i think besides those that's that's pretty much it that comes to comes to mind right away i'm sure there's others if i dig deeper but we don't need to do right that. i know we don't <laughs> don't have a therapist on hand right that now can of worms yeah <sighs> well what were your deeper existential fears as a kid versus, um, and what are they now <laughs> yeah yeah so i feel like they were all you know just a little dramatic but um <laughs> still still accurate today so failure failing at the things that are important to me the premature death of myself or my loved ones you know no big deal um breezy breezy real breezy real light Mm -hmm. um rejection in general being kind of stuck whether that's in a life that doesn't make me happy or work that makes me feel like my soul is dying you know things like Mm -hmm. that um oh being penniless and alone I feel like that's a (laughs) yeah that's you yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know just little things um (laughs) and yeah those are I mean I feel like those are still underlying existential fears um Mm -hmm. as an adult I'm not sure at what age I started being aware of these things I feel like failure fairly early and then just being aware of like fearing the injury or death of my loved ones as a child, but the other ones were a little bit more as I grew older. Mm-hmm. So relatable. Yeah. Yep. Mine are very similar. Well, how do you think fear helps you? I feel like because I'm a naturally pretty cautious person, I'm sure my fear has helped keep me safe at times throughout my life, mm-hmm. um, especially you know as a teen or young adult when we're not known for making the best decisions. Um, (laughs) And I'm also a naturally clumsy person. So (laughs) my fear of physical dangers is very real. And I do try to listen to that to try to keep myself safe and in one piece. Same. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But you just slow down. Yeah. Like 90% of my problems usually. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And how does fear hold you back? Well, my fear of failure or rejection can definitely hold me back, as we've talked about before in relation to perfectionism or procrastination, etc. I am getting more comfortable with putting myself and the things that I make or I do out into the world, but Mm -hmm. it is still scary at times, even though it's obviously not, I'm not going to die if I do it. It's not actually going to hurt me physically, most likely. But with fears like that, I, I am trying to get in the habit of asking myself, what is the worst that will happen? You know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's the fear that people won't like it or won't care about it or make fun of it, you know, like, okay, that sucks, but then those mm-hmm. aren't my people. And it's not enough to keep me from doing it, you know, that fear. So I'm getting better at recognizing the ways in which fear does hold me back. Mm-hmm. So what kind of relationship do you want with fear going forward? Well, I do have a tendency to avoid fear like I do many other 
uncomfortable emotions. <laughs> so, <laughs> like many of us, especially in Enneagram Seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, ooh, that's uh, not fun or um, comfortable. So I'm just gonna pretend <laughs> just that's let's not move a thing. on. Let's yeah, let's <laughs> just move on quickly to something fun. So I'm working on acknowledging and accepting fear as part of being human, like all those other feelings mm-hmm. we talk about. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be better at sitting with fear and getting curious about it and not ignoring it or avoiding it, but remembering that it's not inherently good or bad. It can be helpful or unhelpful in, in how you deal with it. So that's mm-hmm. that's the you know sane kind of level-headed relationship I'd like to have with fear going forward. <laughs> we'll see. Sounds very healthy. Yeah. Doesn't it? It's it sounds inspirational, nice. yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> it ebbs and flows, right? Just how yes. well that's working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear your answers, Malia. I, want, I feel like there will be some overlaps. But some oh, differences. yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so were you easily scared as a kid? Oh, yes, yes. Um, anxiety <laughs> runs in our family, and mm-hmm. I was a pretty fearful child, overactive mind, and imagination. I startled easily and still do. <laughs> Startle <laughs> reflexes. Really come, in, come in soft, no sudden movements. I know, seriously. Yeah, Darren still has to tell his anxious family when he's going to pop the instant pot, like the pressure release <laughs> valve, because it makes this like very sudden hissing noise. It's very loud. So we all startle and freak out. I tend to swear. So... He warns me. <laughs> but yes, I also sought out <laughs> some <laughs> scary things. And so that did not help with my active imagination and nightmares. Yes. Yeah, so you did like scary movies, books and shows. <laughs> what were your what were your favorites? And do you like them now? Oh, my gosh. Well, knowing now about my ADHD, I can see that I was thrilled by the intensity of those mm. stories and then also terrified when I was trying to sleep at night. It was just the you know two sides of the same coin, like overactive, you know, pursuit of things and then the imagination and vivid recall. But yeah, I borrow collections of ghost stories from the library mm-hmm. and choose your own adventure books that have oh, pretty violent yeah. themes. Do they? <laughs> well, there was one in particular. I still have this image burned into my memory. I was lying awake one night. I was probably, I want to say like seven or eight years old. And I always slept at this little table lamp on because I was also afraid of the dark. <laughs> and so, but like still, I would picture this one scene. You know how the endings, like the bad endings were right. when you ended up in this horrible situation. So it was like this Western themed choose your own adventure. And there were these cow- Cowboys and Indians or Native Americans, they were around this campfire. And then there were ghosts, though, of like the Indians were, you know, I don't know how to say this in a politically correct way. The, the Native <laughs> Americans. Be from the 80s, you know. <laughs> I know, right? In, in the 80s, guys, it was cowboys and Indians. Right. And the Indians were like smashing their tomahawks into the backs of the cowboys. Oh. And the cowboys were like shooting the Indians in this perpetual ghostly circle around oh this campfire. Gosh. Yeah. And it said like that it would spurt an arc of blood like oh. when the tomahawk went. And I was like imagining the scene I'm like these are not books for children these are books for like (laughs) eight-year-olds I don't understand (laughs) anyway so there's that wonderful scene that was burned into my memory um yep and and then in middle school I got really into Christopher Pike books which you mentioned like you know we had the Earl Stein ones like prom night and whatever but those never really did it for me because they were just like not they were pretty tame and they were not very well written to be fair no Christopher Pike was a level up yeah it's true it Mm -hmm. was fairly good and it was like the r-rated version uh, (laughs) of Earl Stein <laughs> um, and then there were those books with the charming titles like Killed the Teacher's Pet, you know, oh, they like made movies yes. out of and stuff. Yes, yeah, so they had like uh, the raised letters on the paperback. Yes, I forget who, I think different people wrote them, but I, I like those so. too. They're pretty intense. Uh-huh. And then I moved on to the more intense horror novels by Stephen King and Dean Koontz. And then, yeah, mom at first only let us watch like Are You Scared of the Dark on Nickelodeon. Oh, and those yes. are pretty scary, they granted. Were. <laughs> 
And then the gateway movie was when she let our cousin TJ and me rent The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> which was kind of like more gross than anything. Right. <laughs> like, and then, yeah, my obsession, and you're reminding me that I was really interested in like horror movie makeup and special effects at the time. So I, for research purposes, saw like all the Nightmare at Elm Streets mm-hmm. and Friday the 13th, Halloween, the Chucky movies. And I don't know exactly what appealed to me so much. I guess it was sort of the fascination with sort of movie magic, but also my way of like boosting my dopamine without actually doing anything dangerous because <laughs> I was a, a, you know, straight-laced kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at least the pursuit of thrills were just like within the television screen. Right. It's a safer way of getting that hit without doing right. anything risky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. The Freddy Krueger movies, Nightmare on Elm Street movies also freaked me out because I remember the first one, Johnny Depp was in it. I and know. I had such a huge crush on him from watching 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler, he does not make it. So it was <laughs> no, a very... He's the first victim, I think. And he like is pulled into his, into the into bed. his bed. And then like this it's big like, like waterfall of blood gushes up like a really geyser. Gross. Of blood. Yeah. 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 Oh, and we just happened to catch that on TBS or something one night, I remember. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was sort of a wild a shock. west. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and my favorite books were um as a kid, do you remember a dark in a dark dark room? For oh, early readers. Yes, yes. I <laughs> this book should about not that. be for early readers. For ages four to eight, I looked it oh up. Oh my gosh. It's terrifying. Like the green ribbon where the, the green ki- childhood the sweethearts, Jesus. you know, well, I guess they were friends first, and this girl wears this green ribbon around her neck and like won't tell people why it's there and won't take it off. And then like the kids get married and when they get older, and then on her deathbed, you know, she's like, finally, well, I'm going to tell you the secret. And then he unties, her husband unties the ribbon, and her head falls off. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Cool. This is for four to eight year olds. Yeah. So, and Alvin Schwartz is the author of that one. He like retells these classic tales or whatever. Oh. But he's the one who wrote scary stories to tell in the dark. That and I'm like, tracks. You have a demented mind. Yes, that tracks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and those scary stories books are for third grade and up, which oh is eight years old. Goodness. And I'm like, uh, and the illustrations. Yeah, Stephen Gamel is the illustrator. And Man, horrifying. So. That guy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. And then as a teenager, I was into the Puppet Master movies, the various Ooh, puppet characters yeah. kill people in all kinds of gross ways. And <laughs> like the dark half was my favorite Stephen King novel, which is a little bit more literary, but still gruesome and kind of, you know, far-fetched and everything, even though he is a really good writer. He's an it's excellent so writer, yeah. But his genre is like, I don't know, some of the storylines are kind of kind of wacko, but yeah, you know, like the body that became Stand By Me and, mm-hmm. you know, the Shawshank Redemption and all. Um and his book on writing. Yes, on writing, writing is excellent for all you writers yes. out there. So good. So do you like scary content now? No, I do not. <laughs> my <laughs> my hyper focus on horror movies and slasher films, I think, lasted till high school and I kinda had burnt out on it, I guess. I just like started seeing movies with more interesting stories that were scary, like the Blair Witch Project mm-hmm. really terrified me and the that ring was scary. a little bit later. Oh, yeah, yes. the oh ring. my gosh. I think that's still one of the scariest I've ever seen. And nowadays I like suspense thrillers okay. I don't seek them out, but if people say they're really good, like a quiet place, mm. I will see them and, and get out. But I have enough natural anxiety that I don't like to go looking for any more. <laughs> just like my body tenses up. I just feel like I'm full body cringing and in the stress response. So not and great. I just, yeah, it's not great for me. And I can't stomach any on-screen violence. Like during Game of Thrones, I would just look Oof, away. I know. Um, I spent half of that show just covering my eyes. I know. Same here. And I just avoid anything where a child, you know, is threatened or mm, hurt. So yeah. a quiet place, you know. 
I still mm, want to see yeah. both of those movies. And I think even though Brian doesn't love like horror movies, that's a genre I feel like I can convince him that kind of thriller, you know, suspenseful stuff. That one and Get Out has been on my list forever, too. So. Yeah, it's, it's very good. It's interesting. And as far as tangible fears, I don't remember being scared of clowns or having phobias of snakes or spiders when I was a kid. But yeah, I was afraid of the dark. And I somehow, I was really scared of human evildoers the most, still today. But I I somehow, when I was eight or so, saw an episode of America's Most Wanted. And I don't know how I did, but it's, it like, I couldn't look away. It's obviously about murderers who are still on the loose. Yes, that show was, I feel like, on at, like, not a super late hour. Like, it was was like like 9 p.m. or something. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember seeing it, too. And it it was very intense. Uh, That particular story, I won't even say it, but I was really scared that that killer who was on the loose would come to our home. Mm -hmm. And that same year, we visited the FBI headquarters in D.C. when we were visiting our grandparents. And there's a crime clock in the lobby (gasps) that traumatized me. It shows all the different crimes in the U.S. and how often they're committed, like on average, (laughs) like how many seconds, like every 24 seconds for violent crimes and every 30 minutes for a murder. Oh, that's awful. My child's mind did not understand averages and then the size of the population and how, like, it's not just, like, around the corner every in a few seconds. But I lay awake in our grandparents' house that night just expecting someone to crash through the window, and I was sure that I would become a statistic on that crime club. That's awful. (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember even going to FBI headquarters, but that's terrible. Well, and these are the things parents don't know when they take the children there. There's going to be this damn crime clock right in the lobby. But anyway. So were those your big tangible fears or what what other things were you scared of as a kid? Yeah, that was pretty much it as a kid, I think. And now, I mean, I don't like bugs. And when I was living in San Francisco, you know, I would be scared of walking home Mm -hmm. uh, at night by myself and usually did not do that. like after the clubs closed and stuff, occasionally I would find myself like my you know friend would walk with me to a certain point. I'd have to like run the rest of the way home, mm-hmm. and that wasn't great. But yeah, here uh, in Jackson, we live in a kind of suburban part of it. So um, and at home, I'm I'm still you know scared of break-ins and that kind of thing. But I'm grateful we have security measures now, like an alarm system and a big dog and video cameras and that kind of thing. So that puts my overactive mind and the kids at ease. I always mm-hmm. go over all the measures we have, you know, and uh, a brick house, which helps because the three little pigs. You know, Brick was the strongest one <laughs> that the wolf could not blow down. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just like generally over trust. Like, it's a paradox because I'm overly trusting of people, but also really paranoid of strangers, <laughs> right. like leaving my belongings like in common areas, even at our co working space where that's like the thing that everyone does, you know. Right. So. I never do that. I'm, I've am i also <laughs> lived in just places where things get stolen a lot. So, I'm just uh-huh. like, I could trust you, but. But But is it worth it? You know, (laughs) know, right? I'd rather be seen as paranoid and still keep my laptop. Sorry. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Just to be on the safe side. Just to be on the safe side. And today I'm not crazy about heights. Mm -hmm. I don't like spiders still. Um, I am pretty freaked out by snakes as much as I say, like, they're not fears exactly. But yeah, there is a a full snake skin that was like right under our mailbox, um, like that a snake had shed. And then there was a hole that the the skin was kind of going into. So we um, extrapolated from that, that there is a fairly large snake living 
under our mailbox in a hole. <laughs> it's like right behind this like Halloween garden display that oh we have gosh. of like these like friendly ghosts and then like supposedly scary gargoyle cat and like dragon skeleton. But oh. that snake skin is much more horrifying to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, Darren, it's your job to go get the mail forever. Seriously. Well, luckily it is. But then he leaves the mail for me to sort. And that is terrifying in itself. <laughs> That's <laughs> it a different kind up. of fear. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I get nervous about public speaking. And Q&A that I have not prepared for it makes my brain shut down, which I think is oh, an ADHD yeah. thing because, like, I just on my feet. I need more time to process and prepare. So I really like to have the questions in advance and be able to think about them and articulate them. Yes. Oh, yeah. I hate that. I didn't even think about the fear of public speaking or being on the spot when, especially if you're being recorded or it's, mm-hmm. it's there's a record of it somehow. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Gosh, I know. Same. So what are your deeper, more existential fears? What were they as a kid and what are they now? So mom tells a couple stories about my my fears as a kid. When I was maybe three years old, and because you weren't born yet, we were at brunch, mom and dad and I, and dad ran out to get something at the store and was going to come back in a minute. And so I started wailing, I'm afraid I'll never see my daddy again. Which is like always a flair for the dramatic. Oh, <laughs> little Malia. So I guess fear of, of my parents abandoning me. And then when I was about eight years old and had a test coming up, the next day I had a freak out. Um, like, and my mom remembers me like breaking down in tears and being like, what if I don't pass this test and I can't get a job and I'm homeless and my children will starve. Oh <laughs> my goodness. So catastrophizing uh, came easily to me. <laughs> it's not, not natural. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because like the research says that fear morphed as I got older. And in college, I remember, you know, I'd go and talk to my professors at their office hours. And one of my favorite professors, I just mentioned that I had this deep-rooted fear of like never making anything of myself and ending up on the streets you know penniless and alone like right. you said. <laughs> he said and he just like looked at me just like kind of baffled and he's like you don't have to worry interesting people go on to do interesting things oh like, that's lovely okay, well I'm glad you believe in me sir <laughs> huh. yeah that's that's nice to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah and these days it's sort of you know a different form of the same fear and now that I'm changing careers into full-time coaching and personal development I'm scared I won't make a full-time living at the work that I love to do and I know that I'm good at. And that's largely because I need to work on my relationship with money, you know, cultivating mm-hmm. a mentality of abundance and gratitude instead of scarcity and anxiety and all the sort of money myths that it's like hard to make money and money is the root of all evil and all those things that, you know, are not true. And I'm scared that I will die before having evolved into the best version of myself and contributed the most that I can to this world. So, you know, just a little just, light, just you know. Just a couple things. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> very light. Uh, yes. Yeah, and I'm scared, of, of course, of losing my loved ones, you know, Darren, the kids, you, and or something happening to me where I couldn't raise my kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that almost accident that I told you about in another podcast. Yeah, I gosh. still think about that. And just, you know, as I'm putting the kids to bed and kissing them goodnight and just so glad I'm here to <sighs> here for them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mama. Yeah, the deeper fears are just, they're hard for me to even talk about because, I don't know, I feel like even saying them out loud makes them more likely, even though I know that's not mm-hmm. true. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it it makes them feel more tangible, which is terrifying. 
Yeah, I know. Listening to Brene Brown talk about her fears of that, like losing loved ones on the Gifts of Imperfection series, mm-hmm. that made me like a little more, I don't know, just like comforted that like just speaking them out loud will not make them come true. Right. And I know this, of course, like logically, but it seems, yeah, it, it feels I like, I don't know, knock on wood, you know, it feels seriously very, knock on all the wood. All of it. Yes. <laughs> so how does fear help you, Malia? Yeah, safety-wise, it helps temper my impulsivity and my mm-hmm. clumsiness Like, because <laughs> my nature is to move fast and drive fast. And, yeah, slowing down really would solve a lot of my problems. And it also helps – my fear helps me train my kids to move more carefully, too, mm-hmm. because we are all impulsive and accident-prone. And so just, like, kind of not hovering but cautioning them uh, not to do dangerous things uh, helps me. And then the fears about intangible things, I think, point to the things that need attention, like, mm. you know, paying bills or obstacles to my living wholeheartedly. And those, you know, we often feel the most fear about moving toward our biggest dreams. And so that, that fear can point us to the thing that we really want in life. And it'll feel scarier and scarier kind of as we move closer to it. Well, that's a good perspective. I hadn't thought about that before, but that's absolutely true. Yeah, it can be helpful that way if you just like pay attention, get curious. Right, right. Always getting curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So curious. Don't get mad. So... Don't get, yeah, don't get mad. Get curious. Don't <laughs> yes. get anxious. Get curious. <laughs> like I always say. Like I always say. <laughs> so how does fear hold you back? Well, it prevents me from taking risks that move me closer to those big dreams because our brains are so good at imagining the worst case scenarios. So we fail before we even start by Mm -hmm. not trying at all because you're like, what if I try and I fail? Like, what if I don't earn enough income? And my marriage is stressed and the kids can't afford shoes anymore. You know, we, lose we have our to house. make them out yeah. of paper bags. I know, and... right? I don't know how to make shoes out of paper bags. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> and like usually these questions are sort of half formed in the back of my mind and I'm like not even really well thought out. And I end up avoiding even engaging with the thing I want to do because it mm-hmm. just feels too scary to even open that can of worms, which is why it's so helpful to journal, you know, do morning pages, do thought downloads on paper mm-hmm. because then we can articulate them and see that they're probably unfounded and we're like okay I can separate myself from that Mm -hmm. or I could deal with it if it did happen and what relationship do you want with fear going forward so with my coach, I've been working on noticing my fear in a compassionate way, you know, the scared child part of me and like gently saying, hey, fear, I see you and I hear what you're scared of. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but we're going to do this thing anyway because it is worth feeling the fear to get the outcome that we want. And I want to get better at noticing where the fear starts in my body mm. so I can acknowledge and cope with it before it spins me out, <laughs> like yes. it's out of control, like with a self-compassion break or deep belly breathing, movement, etc. Like the title of the Susan Jeffers book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you feel like you feel it first? Do you know? Yeah, my chest definitely. Like yeah, my too. anxiety and fear both start in my chest. It just tightens and mm-hmm. kind of my throat. It's just a little bit hard to breathe. And then sometimes kind of in my gut, just like the queasy feeling, nervous feeling, the stress I feel in my, my shoulders and neck. But, mm. you know, it's all related. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? And your chest as well? Yeah, chest as well for fear and anxiety. And then, yeah, sometimes I could, you know, feel my heart beating faster. My breath gets harder to come by. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, stress. And then I get just kind of like I need to move around. Like, I just get really restless um, Mm -hmm. with stress and fear. Like, I just need to – I find myself just walking really quickly around my apartment. I'm like, what's going on with – yeah, what's going on with that? (laughs) Yeah, that is a sign. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a a bit of a tell. (laughs) 
I know. It's true. When I like bustle and bounce around my house, I can tell that I'm nervous too and just like feeling jambly. Right. Yeah, all the jamblies. (laughs) (laughs) So for actual threats to your life and well-being, by all means, let fear be your guide. But for those of us who deal with more intangible fears, here are some strategies to try. Number one, acknowledge your fear and allow space for it, but don't let it drive. This is excellent advice from Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear, which has stuck with both of us. She says that when pursuing creative projects or new endeavors or adventures, fear will always be part of the equation. So now she just acknowledges it. She writes, creativity is a path for the brave, yes, but it is not a path for the fearless. And it's important to recognize the distinction. Bravery means doing something scary. Fearlessness means not even understanding what the word scary means. If your goal in life is to become fearless, then I believe you're already on the wrong path, because the only truly fearless people I've ever met were straight-up sociopaths and a few exceptionally reckless three-year-olds, and those aren't good role models for anyone. I love this. I love that very much. (laughs) Yeah, and I think um, Avery was one of those exceptionally reckless three-year-olds. No fear. No fear, which is terrifying for her parents. Not a sociopath, but reckless for Yes. And Gilbert thanks her fear for saving her life countless times. And she says that we need our fear to protect ourselves from real dangers, like we mentioned, walking into traffic, getting eaten by wild animals, etc. But Mm -hmm. not for our creative endeavors. And of course, fear will always show up because it hates uncertainty. And that's totally normal, human, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but you do have to deal with it. Yeah, she says in another piece that her brain, when she like gets out of bed or like goes to get a glass of water, anything that is just not like staying still, basically, her brain's like, stop, stop, danger. Unsafe. You know? I know. What are you and doing? So you just have to learn to like <laughs> listen to what is actually a threat and what right. is not. Right. When you, especially if you, you know, have anxiety, like everything can mm-hmm. seem as though it's trying to hurt you. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and Gilbert said that she decided a long time ago that if she wants creativity in her life, she has to make space for her fear as well. She describes them as conjoined twins, and they're a package deal. And she's gotten in the habit of giving her fear a welcome speech before starting a new project or adventure, basically saying, you know, listen, fear, creativity and I are going on a road trip together. I know you'll be along for the ride because that's what you do. But here is part of the speech that she includes in Big Magic. There's plenty of room in this vehicle for all of us, so make yourself at home, but understand this. Creativity and I are the only ones who will be making any decisions along the way. I recognize and respect that you are part of this family, and so I will never exclude you from our activities. But still, your suggestions will never be followed. You're allowed to have a seat, and you're allowed to have a voice, but you are not allowed to have a vote. You're not allowed to touch the roadmaps. You're not allowed to suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, my dear old familiar friend, you are absolutely forbidden to drive. I love this so much. I love it so much. One of my favorite things ever. Me too. I love all of it. And I I feel like I want to just print this out and put it on my wall somewhere. (laughs) I know. And I love her approach of the like gentle, you know, grateful approach to fear and understanding as if it is that fearful child and also recognizing that it does have a function, but not like it's misplaced in this context. Like Stephen Pressfield has this book, the what is the war of art? (laughs) And while it can be useful in some contexts, he talks about like resistance with a capital R, you know, based in fear and like kind of kicking its butt and it's your enemy. (laughs) 
and like it's this very like aggressive sort of traditionally male stance and I'm like why don't we befriend our fear right. that's, that's like, not for really my me vibe. <laughs> you know good for you not for me I much prefer the road trip analogy <laughs> me too it's very relatable and it's like firm boundaries but still mm-hmm. compassionate and yeah, yeah it works for me <laughs> yep <laughs> well tip number two is get curious about your fear instead of running from fear or getting overwhelmed by it try to learn more about it you can ask compassionate non-judgmental questions like you would with a friend and you can do this in a journal that might be more helpful to kind of distance it out of your mind you can ask what's this about where is this coming from what am i really afraid of Am I afraid of the process, the outcome, my capabilities, my safety? Am I trying to protect myself from something specific? And it may be based in, you know, a trauma response from something that happened when you were younger and, you know, can help process that with a therapist. I took a class on worry a long time ago and we did an exercise in uh, catastrophizing and how to deal with that, you know, when there's a fear and you just blow it up really big in your mind. Yeah, the penniless uh, and alone. The penniless and alone (laughs) is a great example. You just spin yourself out until it feels like it's real and it's totally realistic. So what you do is write down what you are specifically afraid of and often it's just that generalized anxiety and when we nail it down on paper we're like oh you know it's not that scary but anyway you write that down and then by percentage you write how likely is that fear to come true and then usually it's not that likely and then if it does come true how likely are you to be able to handle it and you write that percentage down too and usually that puts the fear in perspective that even though it feels real yeah it's not very realistic that it's going to happen and if it does you can deal with it that's very comforting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta do that more often. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and strategy number three is allow the fear and do the thing anyway, if the outcome is worth it to you. So make space for your fear, be willing to feel it and move through it because what's on the other side is worth it. Some of the most rewarding experiences or relationships in my life happened when I was scared, but moved forward because I wanted the outcome on the other side. And mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you think about all those risks you took, whether it's, you know, saying I love you or yeah, moving across the country for, <laughs> for a relationship, yeah, for example, exactly. right? Exactly. Moving across the globe or mm-hmm. you know, taking that job, even though you felt like you weren't ready for it or all those things, they lead to the outcomes that you want. They lead to the bigger life that you want. And a caveat, this is a very personal and internal process and not something to be dictated by outside people, other people's desires or expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone can tell me to feel the fear and go base jumping anyway, and I will kindly tell them to F off because that is <laughs> not what I want to do. Um, that's not what my inner voice is saying. <laughs> I love how Glennon Doyle describes this in her book, Untamed. She's talking about bravery and fear, and she writes, we tell our children that brave means feeling afraid and doing it anyway, but is this the definition we want them to carry as they grow older? That is not the understanding of brave I want my children to have. I do not want my children to become people who abandon themselves to please the crowd. Brave doesn't mean feeling afraid and doing it anyway. Brave means living from the inside out. Brave means in every uncertain moment, turning inward, feeling for the knowing, and speaking it out loud. Since the knowing is specific, personal, and ever-changing, so is brave. Whether you are brave or not cannot be judged by people on the outside. Sometimes being brave requires letting the crowd think you're a coward. Sometimes being brave means letting everyone down but yourself. Yeah, I love that. That only you can know what right. is brave for you. Right, exactly. And like feeling the fear. And if you decide that being brave means, you know, pushing through it and doing that thing, that's right for you. If it means saying, nope, not right now or not for me, then that is also brave. 
This, this reminds me of a song from the satire musical show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh. Um, that it's this ballad about face your fears. And the main character, Rebecca, was scared of something. And her best friend sings this song to encourage her to face her fears. But they're all things that you should actually be afraid of, like <laughs> running running with scissors. And like, <laughs> I go up to a bear and you're like, I'm not scared of you, bear. Like, put his hand, you know, your hand on his chest and like <laughs> wiping back to front. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. So I know. we'll link to this in the show yes. notes. It really makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> that show is so brilliant. I know. It's so good. But <laughs> at any rate, um, number four, if you want to overcome your fears, if you have phobias or traumas, you can work with a therapist to overcome those fears through techniques like exposure therapy, where you increase your exposure to the source of your fear over time in a controlled environment. So we hope those are helpful in yes. facing any kind of fear that you have. Well, now it's time for Get It Together, Got It Together, a segment where we share something that we would like to work on and something that is going well for us right now. So, Jill, what is your Get It Together, Got It Together? My Get It Together is time management, which is an ongoing, (laughs) lifelong struggle. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it is not new, but it is still stressful. So Mm -hmm. I've been pretty busy with some work projects lately and some, you know, everyday stuff, but then some bigger long-term ones and that whole thing that we talked about in our last episode on ADHD about, you know, having two time frames of now and not now mm-hmm. really hits home for me. You know, like <laughs> now me doesn't want to think about that thing that's not now. It's in a month. I know. Well, and it's hard for our brains to conceive. Yes. I mean, if you are on the ADHD spectrum, then it's just like we cannot ha- we don't have that time landscape. You know, naturally, we have to kind of like put it on paper and sort of try to envision it. But it doesn't come naturally. It does not come naturally. It's very it's very much a struggle. And even like trying to map out what the next month looks like and all these things. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so it has been a bit of a stressful couple of weeks because of that. So yeah, I hear you, babe. That's yeah. Tough. Yes. And I'm constantly working on my time management as well. And yes. trying not to cram one more thing in before the meeting or have to leave to get the kids or whatever. No, I'm always doing that. It's just <laughs> like really think I can do it. Just knock it out. I'm very optimistic every time. Uh, so surprised when it doesn't work the way I envision it. Um, I know. Yes. But my got it together is also time related, but in a positive way. I've had a lot of time with loved ones this month, which has been wonderful. Two of my very best girlfriends have come out on separate visits here to Barcelona, which has been just really, really wonderful. So I haven't seen them in two years. And it's just been so wonderful to have that time together, you know, hugs and long talks and walks and tears and good meals and wine and all that stuff that I've missed so, so, so much. So that's been, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, it's so wonderful. You guys have known each other since you're 18 years old in college, right? It's yes. Wild. Yeah. We have been friends for 20 years and oh. in this, yeah, this would be our 20th friend anniversary for I know for these girlfriends and many of our other friends including Brian and Darren you know it's 20 whole years which is more than half our lives and very very grateful to have that you all know how to pick them. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Good job, 18-year-old selves. I know, right? <laughs> you made some good calls. And I was lucky enough to be looped into the crowd. Yes, <laughs> I know. I forget you didn't go to college with us sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm an interloper. I'll just <laughs> blend in. <laughs> what about you, Malia? Oh, goodness. Well, I realized what my get it together was when we started recording or before we started recording the podcast <laughs> is the checklist that I wanted to get together of items to 
record the podcast with. Um, oh, yes. I didn't have my headphones. I still don't have the proper ones. And I didn't have the right plugs. And, you know, because <laughs> my computer needs to attach to the microphone. All that fun stuff. So you made a checklist. While I was scrambling for those items, you graciously <laughs> made a checklist for both of us. And I appreciate that. So thank you You're very <laughs> for welcome. turning that into a Got It Together. <laughs> yes. You know, I was sitting there while you were looking for it. And I did the exact same thing before, you know, before we got on online as well. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it every time. I'm like, it's not actually that hard for me to do right now since I just did it. So I just typed a little list. We can add to it, put it somewhere. So good. Yes, it'll be easier. And if there's things that are just for the podcast, like I have just like a little attachment, you know, uh, for the computer, Mm -hmm. I can put it somewhere where it just stays with those items, you know, for the kids in the morning, we get them out to the bus really early. And so we had all these things like bug spray and then Avery's like hair detangler and brush. And so I was like scrambling with all these items in my arms. And so at Target, Darren's like, why don't we get one of these little shower caddies, you know, the kind that's like with one hand you take to the shower at college. And so that has been awesome because then it's all in there. I don't have to scramble to find them or like hold them. Yes, (laughs) that's brilliant. So that's a good one. And on that note, my got it together is just kids stuff in general. I think I'm really doing well with managing those things and seeing them coming in advance. They have all kinds of things. They like, this is a dress up week and I did not groan and complain about it. I, you know, a little bit because I always do. But this time I'm like, okay, these are pretty easy. There's like a cap day and superhero day. And I forget what the one was on the other day. I'm totally forgetting. But then they were excited to do it. And it was pretty simple. So yeah, Avery wanted to wear a crown for cap day. And we're like, ah, (laughs) maybe this frozen baseball cap would work. But anyway, just keeping track of all those things. And um, you know, they've had field trips and they have fundraiser and they have Kona Ice Day, which is like the shave ice truck pulls Ooh, up at school and love it. Yeah, they do this every month and I'm like this is a lot of sugar and artificial stuff but it's like to reward kids for good behavior and I'm like okay I guess it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would have they loved love it, it as kids and I mom would have been like cool give them back to me I'll hop down I know right sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I know. oh my goodness anyway so I, I'm feeling good about that and spending one-on-one time with them each night has been really nice too um, and we finally finished the Harry Potter series <gasps> oh, um, that's last wonderful. night yes and wow. oh my gosh I love the last book I love the ending so yeah I just was so happy to finish the book um after so long I think we started it like late spring of last year I'm like this series you know wow that's Uh, so awesome that you guys read those together too no it was a really bonding experience so really happy with that and I guess another got it together I'll share is that we had Avery diagnosed with ADHD this week as well so that was big Big. and I'm really glad that we got her diagnosed at five years old which is you know a little bit young they do like six or seven is typical but the same doctor psychologist that diagnosed Evan is he's like nearing retirement and so I'm always like anxious with Darren I was like he's gonna retire before he can diagnose Avery we're gonna pull him out of retirement for like one last rodeo you know one last heist (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah, she has it gifted ADHD, just like uh, Evan and me. And so it's good to know. And her teacher was really supportive. And so yeah, we're gonna just apply all the strategies that we've been learning. And it's just good to know that down the line, you know, if and when she is ready for medication, that is an option with that diagnosis. And right now we're doing some behavioral strategies. And she has a healthy self concept too, just like Evan did when he, you know, found out he had an ADHD brain. He was, you know, like, like mommy, he's like, Oh, daddy, you know, sorry, you don't have the same kind of brain as us, you know, (laughs) 
And then <laughs> Avery, I was like, Avery, you have the same kind of brain as Evan and me. And she's like, oh, good, mommy. And we're like twins, except you're just bigger. Oh, that is just so cute. I love I that attitude that both of them are like able to embrace the positive stuff and learn how to manage the challenging stuff. They're yeah. super lucky to have you and all these Thank things you. at their, their disposal. Thank you. Yeah, it's wild that just within the course of like just over a year, because it was, you know, just over a year. It was the end of September last year that Evan was diagnosed, the beginning of September. And we're now in the end of October, the following year. So within the course of a year-ish, all three of us were diagnosed. Wow, it's a wild year. (laughs) I know. And no, Darren. Oh, neurotypical, or at least non-ADHD Darren. (laughs) Holds down the fort. (laughs) Good man. Yep. Well, that is all for this episode of Semi Together. How do you deal with things that scare you? What advice about fear would you like to share? Email us at podcast at semitogether.com or send us a voice memo. If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com slash semitogether. And if you're a self-critic or perfectionist, including an adult with ADHD, I'd love to coach you to treat yourself with compassion and accept your authentic and perfectly human self. You can set up a free discovery call at risingspiralcoaching.com. Thanks for listening to Semi Together. And take it from us, you have it more together than you think you do. And if you are a self-critic or perfectionist, including an adult with ADHD, I would love you. I would love you so much. <laughs> I'd love you so I much already. You. I would love you forever. <laughs> Will you be mine? <laughs> Too soon.